Chapter 6 What if he's right? The next morning, Jake followed Izzy on her morning ride, and again, he was impressed by her knowledge and understanding of their dad's preparations. Instead of riding to the top of the property and looking down at the different construction projects, Izzy took Jake on a tour of the perimeter. Beginning about 200 yards from the main entry road, a 15-foot-high fence made of reinforced concrete was being erected around the edge of the property. The wall was being built by burying large steel I-beams 30 feet deep with 10-foot spacing in between. The concrete slabs were then slid into the slots, which anchored them securely without the need for additional reinforcements. Jake watched as a crane with a boring attachment drilled one of the holes. Wow! was all he could muster. Izzy went on to explain that by burying the I-beams so deeply, it would be very difficult to take out huge portions of the wall. Small holes were possible, but they would create bottlenecks through which enemy troops would have to travel to enter the property. The bottlenecks themselves would make it relatively easy to repel an invasion. Jake was amazed at how casually Izzy talked about killing the enemy troops. He sounded more like a military general than a precocious 12-year-old kid. When the wall is finished, we should dig a five-foot-deep trench just inside of the wall. <laughs> I told him to fill it with razor wire. Razor wire? Jake asked. Yeah. Imagine people getting over the wall and then having to drop 20 feet. Now imagine instead of just falling to the ground, they get tangled up in razor wire. Pretty nasty, huh? Ah, uh, yeah. That's not all, Izzy said. He's building a wall about 100 yards inside of the actual property line. On the actual property line, we'll have a regular chain-link fence, although I think we should make it an electric fence. It's actually cheaper than a chain-link one. Really? I researched it. Uh, why have a fence and a wall? Well... Under current laws, we're allowed to shoot intruders on our property if they pose a threat. But just to be perfectly clear, so there's never any doubt, someone who breaks into the property will first have to climb over that first line of fencing. Once they do that, they're fair game. If they then try to climb the cement wall, there's going to be no question of their intent to do harm. Probably overkill. Well, yeah, but there's another reason. It wouldn't take very long for people to figure out how secure we are, and at some point we can expect people to seek protection out here. I don't know how good an idea it would be to let people into the inner compound. Listen to you, Jake teased. You already sound like a little general. Whatever, Jake. Do you want to learn about this or not? Yeah, 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 sorry. Don't be a douchebag. Jeez, I said I'm sorry. Anyway, Izzy continued, still annoyed, we can let people inside the outer fence to camp and whatever and have some protection without compromising what we have inside the walls. That's pretty smart. It is, right? Yeah. Will they have water and stuff? Yeah. There's going to be generators and water pipes running from inside to a couple of these areas around the perimeter. Jake looked at his sister and considered all that he was seeing. He looked back up the hill towards the house and scratched his head. 
Do you think Dad's crazy, Izzy? Izzy thought about this for a moment and looked at her brother. She was serious. I, I don't know. I don't think so. I think he believes in what he's doing. She looked towards the house. He's doing all this for us, you know. I know. But when I look at all this, I just think... I, I don't know. It just seems so... Crazy? I know it seems like that. But what if he's right? They looked at each other in silence. Jake changed the subject. Do you realize how smart we are? What? Do you realize how smart we are? You're weird. I'm serious. I spent all day yesterday taking tests, and I think I tested out of high school. What does that even mean? Well, at the end of senior year, everyone has to take this standardized test in order to graduate. I think I took that test and passed. So you don't have to go to high school? Uh, I don't know. There's some big meeting this afternoon when they'll tell me, but I guess I'm pretty smart. And you're smarter than me. Izzy laughed. <laughs> Too bad they don't have a douchebag test. You'd pass that one with flying colors. <laughs> Jake ran over and grabbed Izzy, putting her in a headlock. Take it back, he screamed playfully. Izzy struggled, twisting her body and bringing her arms up to her neck. No! Jake tightened his grip. Take it back, he screamed again. Next thing he knew, he was looking at his feet as they flew through the air. It seemed to Jake like it was happening in slow motion. He released his grip just in time to throw his hands towards the ground as Izzy completed the judo move that literally tossed him head over heels to the ground. And then he was looking at her smiling face not six inches from his. He was flat on his back and she had him in an arm bar, effectively immobilizing him. Say you're a douchebag, she told him with a smirk. You're a douchebag, he repeated. She tightened her grip on his arm and he screamed in pain. Say it, she implored. Okay, okay, you're not a douchebag. Since you're a girl, you're more like a, a douchebagette, he yelled, laughing. This time, she really tightened the armbar, sending his shoulder into painful convulsions. Ow, he screamed. You're hurting me. Say it. Okay, okay, I'm a douchebag, I'm a douchebag. She smiled as she let him go, hopping up and extending her hand to him. He grabbed it and pulled himself up. He was now over the initial shock of being caught so off guard by her move, and once again impressed by his little sister. What are you, anyway, an alien? Izzy just smiled. Maybe. Ernie's been teaching me some more hand-to-hand -hand combat stuff. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, yeah, Jake said as he brushed himself off. You want to see something really cool, she asked. Yeah, but then I have to go. Izzy walked to the horses, hopped up on Xena, and trotted along the perimeter to a thick stand of trees with Jake close behind. While there were markings for the outer fence, the fencing had not yet been installed. She rode outside of the perimeter. Where are we going? Jake yelled out to her. She rode on. Come on, it's not far. She rode for another hundred yards, where there was another thick stand of trees. She dismounted and walked a short distance to a fallen log. She walked to the spot where the splintered stump was sticking up, and she stopped, waiting for Jake. When he reached her, she pointed down at the ground. 
I remember this, she said, pointing to the ground to the left of the stump. She got down on her knees, scraped some of the dirt away, and uncovered a small metal plate. She pried up the plate, revealing a five-cylinder tumbler-type lock. She rolled her thumb over the tumblers in sequence, and then she pushed a button. There was an audible click as something beneath the panel unlocked. She stood up and walked a short distance to the fallen tree trunk, and she fell to her knees, shimmied under the tree, and swiped at the dirt again, revealing a small handle. She pulled the handle, and something like a manhole cover began to slide away. She looked around and then disappeared down the hole. Jake was flabbergasted, but he quickly followed her down a ladder about 15 feet below the surface. When she reached the bottom, she turned a metal wheel, and when Jake looked back up the ladder, he saw the manhole cover was closing. He reached the bottom, and Izzy was there, smiling. A small, dim light cast a pale yellow light over the room. She flipped a switch and turned on another, much brighter light. Jake looked around and was again surprised to see that he was in a cement bunker about 20 feet wide by 40 feet long. There were shelves stocked with canned goods, two cots, a small bathroom, and a kitchenette. Had they been alive during the Cold War, they would have realized that it resembled a classic Cold War bomb shelter. If we ever get caught outside the perimeter, there are several of these around the property. Kind of emergency shelters. Oh, wow, was all Jake could muster as he looked around. She walked to the far end of the shelter and picked up an old-school telephone. She held it up for him to see. This is a hardwired phone that connects to the main house and the, and the main underground bunker complex underneath. When it's all done, you would just call the house from here, and she pointed to a large steel plate. Someone on the other end of the phone would punch in a code and unlock this door. It leads to one of the tunnels. It's not working yet, but there might also be a code that you can enter here to unlock it, but Dad hasn't figured out the security protocols to unlock it from here. Where does this tunnel lead? Uh, this one leads to an area right next to the barn. Jake whistled. That's got to be almost a mile from here. Almost. But if you're trapped outside and there's shit blowing up all around you, you wouldn't mind the hike. Izzy smiled. And it works both ways. If we're trapped inside and need to escape undetected, we can use these tunnels to escape. Jake looked at her. He didn't know what to say. And you seriously don't think this is crazy? It is what it is, Jake. It is what it is. I, I gotta get back and get ready for school. Okay. Izzy walked back towards the ladder and paused. She pushed a button and a metal pipe that looked like a support pillar began to slide upwards, revealing a submarine-style periscope. She just smiled when she saw Jake's expression of disbelief and wonder. Dad got a bunch of these from a Navy surplus depot. Pretty cool, huh? She pulled the handles down and put her face to the eyepiece, shuffling slowly around 360 degrees. All clear, she proclaimed, folding the handles back down and pushing the button that lowered the scope. Then she spun the metal wheel and scrambled back up the ladder. After they emerged, she covered the handles with and keypad with dirt and returned to their horses. Izzy thoroughly enjoyed Jake's silence as they rode back to the house.
she had completely blown his mind. Jake was indeed in shock. The more he learned, the more surprised he became. And the more surprised he became, the more convinced he was that his dad was batshit crazy. Secret bunkers and escape tunnels? Really? The more he thought about it, the more absurd it all seemed to him. And the more absurd it became in his mind, the more nervous he got. He was nervous not because he thought his dad was crazy, or because his dad couldn't possibly be right. He became nervous because a little voice in his head kept asking a nagging little question. The little voice in his head was nothing more than a whisper at first, like a gnat buzzing around his ear. But the more he thought about it, the louder the voice became, like the high-pitched buzzing from the gnat's wings. And the question began to occupy more and more of his time. As he approached the barn, the gnat had already morphed into something much larger and much more menacing. He had to shake his head forcefully to repel the buzzing that was already giving him a headache as the question bounced around his mind. What if he's right? Jake said aloud, hoping that hearing the question out loud would end the constant and annoying buzzing. What? Izzy asked as she dismounted. Jake hopped down from Rommel and walked up to her, boring into her eyes with his own confused, pleading eyes. He asked quietly, what if he's right, Izzy? If he's right, we'll be ready for just about anything, right? Jake didn't answer. Izzy asked again. We'll be ready for anything, right? Ready for anything, Jake answered. It was more of a question than a statement, a fact not lost on Izzy. I'll be ready for anything, Jake. Will you? Jake turned and left the barn in a daze. He spoke softly over his shoulder. I don't know. And at that moment, he didn't. The buzzing was back, and Jake shook his head again to try to clear it. What if he's right? Jake went to school, met with Natalie, audited a couple of history classes, and ate a disgusting lunch consisting of some sort of brown meat in an overly dry taco shell. But he didn't really notice. He was still in a daze. No matter how hard he tried, he couldn't shake the images of the emergency shelter that had been following him around since that morning. He remembered Izzy's words, spoken matter-of-factly, like everyone had 15-foot-high reinforced concrete walls, razor wire, underground command bunkers, and emergency shelters with escape tunnels. His mind danced around the question all day. But no matter how he tried to occupy his thoughts, it kept creeping back to a spot right between his eyes, right about where his thick brown eyebrows almost touched. What if he's right? Natalie was happy to see him when he wandered back into her office for his 12.30 meeting to determine his future in public school. George walked in shortly after him, and the greetings were exchanged. They all sat down at a long conference table topped with a cheap, off-white veneer of some sort. Jake almost didn't notice the obscenely fat man that had been sitting at the table from the time he walked in. Stan was, indeed, quite fat. Now that he thought about it, he did recall having his hand swallowed by the fat man's humongous, sweaty hand. But now they were all sitting down, and all Jake could hear was buzzing. Now that he noticed him, 
Jake had quickly determined that he neither liked nor trusted the man. Something about the way he smiled and gestured towards George and pointed at Jake with the back of his hand. What the hell was that, anyway? Jake heard the words they were speaking, but they didn't really register. His attention was on George, his batshit crazy father who was building a fortress for the end of the world. It had concrete walls, razor wire, emergency shelters, and escape tunnels. Somehow, this meeting just wasn't important to Jake. He was certainly not interested in anything this super fat man with beady eyes had to say. What if his dad was right? Jake had no idea how much time had passed when he noticed a lull in the conversation. When he looked up, everybody was looking at him. Apparently, they were waiting for him to say something. Uh, I'm sorry, were you waiting for me to say something? Jake asked nobody in particular. Uh, yes, we were, Jake, Natalie said in her most soothing voice. Jake took a deep breath, tried to regain his bearings, cleared his throat, and then spoke. His voice was soft and thoughtful. He tried as hard as he could to be respectful. Well, what time is it? he asked again, to nobody in particular. George looked at his watch and then glared at his son. It's 1.45. Do you have somewhere else you need to be? Uh, no, Dad. And I'm not being a smartass, but I was just wondering why you guys need my opinion. We've been here for over an hour, and nobody's talked to me at all. The room became tense. Natalie deferred to George, who looked over at Stan, who in turn looked back at Natalie. Of course we want your opinion, Jake, Natalie said, a little unsure of herself. Uh, can I be honest? Jake asked. Of course, son, George said, looking at Natalie and Stan for approval. I don't want to offend anybody. Go on, Jake, Natalie said, again using her soothing voice. So far, from what I've heard, this has been less about me and more about the school. He looked at Stan. And about the school district. Stan started to speak, but Jake raised his hand. No offense, sir, Jake said, but you're a politician. Nothing wrong with that, but I googled you last night, and I saw nothing in your background that indicated that you'd ever even been a teacher, or that you even have kids. Jake, George said firmly. You said I could be honest, right? Jake shot back. I'm sorry, but if this is going to work, I think I should be able to say what's on my mind, right? Jake looked to Natalie for support. Stan's chin started to quiver ever so slightly. George sat back in his chair. Natalie looked around the room again, a little bit nervous. Go on, Jake. Dad, you think this experience will be good for me because I need to be socialized. I mean, I guess that's true. Except for some martial arts lessons and hanging out with some of the families at the ranch, I haven't had much exposure to other kids. Jake paused and looked at Natalie. George sat silently. And, Mrs. Albertson, I, I really like you, and I think that you like me, but you aren't sure what to do with me. I've already tested out of high school. But out of everyone here, I think you have more of my best interests at heart. But your boss is here, and you don't want to get in trouble. Stan glared at Natalie, who looked away from his withering gaze. Jake saw this and looked at Stan. I knew it, Jake said. He looked right at Stan. 
She wasn't supposed to tell us that, was she? Stan was caught off guard. It's not that, Jake, he started. Jake interrupted. May I finish, please? Stan narrowed his eyes at Jake, but he remained silent. George looked over at Stan. He could see in the man's eyes that Jake was right. The dynamics of the meeting shifted immediately. So, here's what I'm thinking. I think you're right, Dad. It would be pretty cool if I had some people my own age to hang around with. I'm not sure how that would work exactly, since I'd probably be in classes with seniors. Right, Mrs. Albertson? Natalie nodded. Yes, I don't think you'd be very happy in classes that would present little or no intellectual challenge. Do you think that some sort of independent study program would work? Is that something you could help me put together? Natalie smiled. Jake had pinpointed her plan all along. I've already given that some thought, and I think we could definitely put our heads together and work something like that out, if it's okay with you, George. I have no problem with that, George said. Is that something the district could get behind, Stan? She asked. Yes. Can we talk about college for a few minutes? It looks like I'll only be here for a year, and if I can get started getting some college credits, that would be good. Right, Dad? George was surprised, but proud of his son. Jake had sat quietly through a meeting that was boring even to George. He'd understood everything that was said, he'd interpreted everything and everyone in the room perfectly, and had reached a conclusion that was obviously perfect in every way. What was not to be proud of? And now, he was formulating a plan for college that had everyone in the room following his agenda. Once again, he realized how much he had been underestimating his son. Uh, I think that would be great, Jake. Do you know where you want to go? Jake smiled at his father. I was thinking about Berkeley. Now it was George's turn to smile. Natalie, having researched George the day before when Jake was breezing through his tests, understood why father and son were both smiling. Jake wanted to attend his father's alma mater. Good choice, George said. They shared a laugh. I thought you'd like it. Do you know what you want to study? Natalie asked, bringing the conversation back down to earth. I was thinking about something along the lines of military history. Stan choked on his own spit. <coughs> military history? At Berkeley? George glared at Stan. Jake looked at Stan and smiled. Berkeley has one of the most underrated military history programs in the country. Their ROTC program has produced almost as many generals as the service academies over the years. Really? Natalie asked, a bit shocked. I heard something like that when I was there, George offered. It seems counterintuitive at first, but when you think about it, it makes sense. Jake chimed in. It does. In order to make the most intelligent arguments against the military, you first have to understand the military. Know your enemy better than you know yourself, Natalie said to herself, quoting Sun Tzu. Stan seemed lost, but both George and Jake smiled at Natalie. George nodded. Something like that, Jake added with a smirk. Then I guess it's settled, Natalie asked. I guess so, Stan agreed, still fuming. Okay then, George offered. 
I guess I'll head back to the ranch. George smiled and patted Jake on the shoulder. Literally. Stan and Natalie stood up, extending their hands simultaneously. George shook them, and then Jake did the same. Natalie put her left hand over Jake's as they shook, enveloping it. Jake met her eyes, and they both smiled. Jake thanked her with his eyes as they shared a private moment. We've got some work to do, young man, Natalie told Jake, ignoring Stan. She put her hands around his shoulders and began leading him out of the room. Stan was a bit lost, but he understood that he was no longer part of the equation. I've got a plane to catch, Stan said weakly. He followed Natalie and Jake out of the room and walked down the hall towards the exit without looking back. He was angry that a 15-year-old had upstaged him, but he enjoyed the minor victory. Jake would be in his district for a year. Under the circumstances, it was the best he could have hoped for. He'd find a way to deal with Natalie's betrayal another time. George followed them out. The smile never left his face.